My name is Susan Hooker, and I'm here in women's ministry um, involved with overseeing Bible studies, outreach, and mentoring. My home state is Mississippi. I graduated from uh, Southern Baptist School, Mississippi College, with a degree in biology, and then went to Boston University and got a master's in physical therapy. So I worked as a physical therapist, um, got married my mid-20s to the gift that God gave me, my husband Steve, and um, continued to work in physical therapy until um, uh, we, Steve and I had been actually married almost 12 years when God gave us our one gift, our daughter Elizabeth. So after that, I stayed at home, I stayed at home mom and um, homeschooled Elizabeth, and then um, was involved in just a variety of, of volunteer opportunities, mainly in children's ministry. So um, I'm in this job because of two, God used two women, oh thank you, two women to um, put me in this job. One is Connie Musselman who came to me and Vicki and asked us about taking the women's ministry job. We sort of job share because you know Vicki does the um, events and I do the other, the outreach, Bible studies and mentoring. But also Rachel Felker, God used her in my life because um, she asked me to do a Bible study a couple of summers ago for the Impact Women. And in in that um, Bible study, as a result of Rachel, um, God worked in my heart and gave me really a desire so that when Connie approached me a couple of of months later, um, I felt that God, this is where God wanted me. Whereas prior to that time when Connie had said something to me about it, I said, no, that's not for me. But, you know, God's so good. And so I'm, I'm grateful. I'll always be grateful to God for Rachel for that because she, she was so instrumental in that um, move of the Lord. But anyway, um, tonight I want to talk to you about treasure, living in light of eternity. So, yes. We're surrounded and shaped by a culture enthralled with money and material accumulation. Where a consumeristic ideology and materialistic values dominate. Like the siren calls that sought to lure Odysseus to his death in Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. Consumerism and materialism daily seek to draw us, bind us, and hold us captive to their deceptive promises of meaning and fulfillment. In an informative article called Why the Devil Takes Visa, a Christian response to the triumph of consumerism, Rodney Clapp says, it's not just consumerism in its most undisguised, hackneyed forms that should concern us, but consumerism as an ethos, a character-cultivating way of life that seduces and insinuates and acclimates. This too often is consumption that militates against the Christian virtues of patience, contentedness, self-denial, and generosity, almost always with a velvet glove rather than an iron fist. It speaks in sweet and sexy rather than dictatorial tones, and it conquers by promises rather than threats. This is what envelops us as surely as the air we breathe. Materialism is a preoccupation with material rather than spiritual things. It's an attempt to find meaning and satisfaction in things we possess rather than in God. Materialism involves pursuing that which will never satisfy in an attempt to find contentment. Yet all who follow Christ 
are called to radical obedience in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Tonight, I want to give you a glimpse of God's grace in my life and some ways he's given me more of his perspective on money and possessions as I have followed him through the years. I stand before you not as one who has it all figured out and has broken all the shackles of the idol of money, but I'm very resistant at times and have sought to hold tight to the security of money and possessions. But God is gracious and he's teaching me the joy of investing in things that are of eternal value. So let me start at the very beginning. I was taught from my earliest years that God is the giver of all good things and that we return to him 10% of all that he's given to us. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I have very early memories of clutching a nickel or a dime in my fat little hand to take to Sunday school and give us an offering to God. That was before I was even old enough to earn an allowance, but I was being trained that bringing an offering to God was a way that I showed my love and gratitude to Him and my dependence upon Him. It brought me joy. This training continued as I increased in age and earned an allowance and had small jobs. I knew unquestioningly that what 10% of what I earned belonged to God and was not to be kept for myself. It was God's. Because of my temperament as a cautious individual and by watching the example of people God had put into my life, I reached my early 20s with a conviction of the necessity of fiscal responsibility. Live within my means, stick to a budget, avoid debt, and practice deferred gratification. One of my favorite novels is David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. I love the way Dickens had the gift of personifying virtues and vices in the plethora of characters he created. If you have read this memorable piece of literature, you may recall the character Wilkins Micawber. He befriended David when as a child, David was sent by the evil Mr. Murdstone to the wretched bottle-making factory in London. Mr. Macabre, though the eternal optimist, was prone to poor management of his finances, which landed him at one point in debtor's prison. Upon his release, he gave young Davy this piece of financial advice. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 19, 19, 6. Result, happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 20 pounds, ought and 6. Result, misery. Well, the former economic policy, living below my means, was the one I strictly followed with the result of happiness and very tight control. 10% was God's, the rest was mine. 10% to give to the Lord, 10% to save, the rest to live on. But God was about to explode my world of tight control and begin to change my perspective. God loved me too much to leave me where I was. And he began to open my eyes to people who were involved in a variety of ways in the work of his kingdom. Are you familiar with the song, The Hokey Pokey? It was one of my favorites when I was a child. Remember, you put your right hand in, you put your right hand out, you put your right hand in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. 
Well, one time I saw a plaque at one of these gift shops that has witty sayings on plaques, and it asked the question, what if the hokey pokey is really not what it's all about? And on a serious note, I would say that my perspective at this point was colored by the perception that the American dream was what it was all about, but with a component for God in my life. But God was beginning to implant in my mind the question, what if the American dream is not what it's all about? Though I could not have verbalized that question at the time, I was beginning to wonder, what if there's something greater than the American dream for which to live my life? The most significant thing God did to facilitate this awakening was to give me a husband who had a much greater understanding of God's plan of economy than I, thereby confronting me with things I had never considered. I married a man who was pretty much a minimalist, who had the gift of giving, who was delighted to take the coat off his back to give to someone in need, and had done that literally at different times. He wasn't quite in the same category as Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity who can literally carry all their earthly possessions in a paper bag. But Steve wasn't far from that. If someone gave him a new shirt for Christmas, as he put it in the closet, he would take one of his old shirts to give away. So through Steve, God began to expand my understanding of the truth that God is the giver of all good things my returning 10% to him is just the beginning. The most radical shift in my perspective occurred through an interesting and providential turn of circumstances. Steve had gone through med school on a Navy scholarship, and upon graduation, he did a family practice internship at the Navy Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. It's common for the Navy doctors in training to be sent out to serve the fleet or the Marines, for a year or two during their training and then to return to the hospital to complete their residency. So when Steve was allowed to submit his dream sheet about where he wanted to be stationed during this interruption, we um, made our first choice, the Naval Station at Bermuda. We thought that would be a lovely place to live. Our second choice was shore duty overseas and our third choice was going to a Marine base, such as Camp Lejeune, to serve with the Marines. So the day came when Steve received orders. And lo and behold, the orders reflected none of his choices, but sent him instead as a general medical officer on an aircraft carrier based in Norfolk, Virginia. Now, an aircraft carrier is a floating city which is sent on six-month deployments to the Mediterranean and the Persian Gulf. And a med cruise on a carrier is not at all what you may envision when you think of a vacation in the Greek Isles. So to say we were initially disappointed and dismayed upon receiving these orders would be to put it mildly. What we did not know is that God was sending us to Virginia because he was going to bring about a paradigm shift that would impact three major areas of our life. One of these was my understanding of money and possessions. In Virginia Beach, God put us in a church and brought into my path people who were living lives of radical obedience to Jesus. The missions pastor brought to our church the course Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. This three-month 
course opened my eyes to the stunning picture of what God had done throughout history and was now doing worldwide to extend his kingdom. In addition, God gave me a deeper understanding of the gospel from creation to the fall of man to the redemption through Christ to the coming restoration. I was awakened to the incredible call and privilege I have to be involved in the work of his kingdom. As we move through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, for the first time I understood that I'm blessed to be a blessing. A major takeaway from this course was that God had not put into my hands resources so that I could live my life here on earth pursuing the American dream of affluence and conspicuous consumption, but he has entrusted me with valuable resources for the purpose of building his kingdom. I began to see that in the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is laying out for me God's priorities for my life and his purposes for the resources which he's entrusted to me. When I pray for his kingdom, I'm not to sit passively by as a spectator on the bleachers twiddling my thumbs, but I'm to be on the playing field, actively investing my time, energy, and resources to see God's kingdom come. This is the privilege I have. He does not need me to do his work, but he's given me the high privilege of participating in the things he is doing to extend his kingdom in the lives of others. So what does this mean regarding my money? You know, the 90% that's mine? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was very clear in his instructions. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are instructed here to intentionally invest in those things that are of eternal value. The reality of verse 21 is that my heart will be where my treasure is. John Piper talks about how money is significant for us simply because we exchange it for what we value, what we treasure. The movement of our money signifies the movement of our heart. Where our money is going, our heart is going. What we do with our money shows what we value with our heart. Let me demonstrate. We value safety and comfort, and so we give money for housing. We value food, or for life actually, life and um, taste, and so we give our money for food. We value appearance, so we give our money for clothes. We value mobility, so we give our money for transportation. We value travel, so we give our money for vacations. We value education, so we give our money for classes and things like books. We value the kingdom of God, and so we give money to the kingdom. We have a certain amount of money, and 
what we value most and to the extent to which we value things determines how much money we spend on these different categories and how much we invest in the kingdom of God. So let me contrast to you the way of the world and the way of the kingdom. Jesus has said it in these verses. But I want to I want to lay it out a little bit clearer, the way of the, or a little more, more in depth, the way of the world. The way of the world is a lifestyle promoted by bigger, better, more. It involves valuing things more than valuing God and people. So as income increases, more is spent on oneself and one's lifestyle for pleasure, for accumulation. Um, This is very clearly, um, actually, let me go back because I I forgot to make a slide of this, but if you want to write this down, the reference in Luke 12, 16 through 21, we see an example of the mentality of the way of the world. Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Okay, so his assets increased. There's nothing wrong with that. And the man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. The man faced a dilemma. So he said to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So the solution of this man, the way of the world, was to hoard, to accumulate, to live in indulgence, to seek selfish pleasure. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This verse gives us God's perspective. The rich man is a fool who died leaving all behind. And here's the pun. This Alistair Begg calls this the punchline of this parable. It says, Jesus said, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Remember, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. The way of the world. But what about the way of Christ's kingdom? The way of Christ's kingdom is characterized by valuing God more than valuing things. So as our income increases, there's an intentionality about giving more to the kingdom of God. In contrast to the rich fool who defaulted by using all his additional income for a lavish lifestyle, the Christ follower sees that additional resources are provided by God to be used for his purposes. So we ask, God, what do you want me to use this for? Now, it may be for new tires or a new computer that you need. It may be for things that you need. But the point is, it may be that God is entrusting this to you for someone else. You're to be a channel of God's blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing in someone else's life. So how much I choose to spend for things, things impacts how much I have to the give to the, how much I have to give to the kingdom of God. And of priority in the kingdom of God is people.
So the more I spend for things in those categories, the less I have to spend here and vice versa. In Ecclesiastes, we see that there is a time for everything. There's a season for everything in our lives. There's seasons when we are gathering things that are pertinent to a particular stage of life. And most of you are in this season of gathering. There will also be seasons when we are more involved in giving away and letting go. The scriptures talk about the wisdom of planning and saving for the future. These things are good. But as God grants each of us different amounts of resources, and as we pass through different seasons of life, some of which involve more personal expense, more personal needs than others, the biblical principle is this. We are to be faithful with what is entrusted to us. If scripture is true and my life is only a vapor, if I am only a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, as Casting Crown sings, whereas eternity extends beyond this life forever, where should I invest my money, talents, and resources? Building my kingdom or building the kingdom of God? The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is what is the chief end of man? The answer, of course, is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So with that answer in mind, as we follow the way of the kingdom, these should be some of our guiding questions. First, how can I live my life in such a way that I'm rich toward God? And how can I glorify God with my money and my possessions? God has been gracious to open the eyes of Steve and me to a wide variety of, quote, kingdom investments that we can make. He has done this and continues to do this by simply bringing things into our lives. And he's given us resources for these purposes, sometimes in amazing, unexpected ways. As you follow him, God will bring into your life those with whom he wants you to be involved. It's different for each individual. But as God brings an opportunity into our lives or a particular interest, every time we should ask, God, is this something you want me to be involved with? Here's the blueprint that God's given to Steve and me. Our priorities always, primary is our local church. And then beyond that, those who are in need of the gospel, especially unreached people groups, those who have little or no access to the gospel, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, tribal peoples, um, also the poor. The Bible speaks in many places of our obligation to the poor. Charles Spurgeon asked one time, where is the poor in your budget? Implying that it should be somewhere the poor, are, are our, we have a responsibility to share what we have with the poor. So as we follow God and he brings opportunities into our lives, um, here's some examples for you to consider. Locally, Salvation Army, Atlanta Mission, Good Samaritan Health Clinic. You can be part of helping the working poor receive medical care. The women of Gilgal, we had Val speak with her recently. Women who are coming out of addictions and bondages. 
Um, Wycliffe Bible Translation, the work of Bible translation is a great way to be involved with those who are in need of the gospel, those who are basically unreached by the gospel. Leading the way is perfect because it's got a national ministry as well as the international arm that's, that's reaching Muslims and also helping the persecuted. So that's involved with the poor, working with the poor. In addition, um, we, we look for opportunities to be involved in discipleship, community development, social justice. Um, we, we consider it a privilege to give to ministries that are feeding us spiritually. So things that we um, receive a lot of spiritual input from, like Desiring God, is something that we um, are involved with. And then um, gifts to non-Christians and Christians. Using gifting is an opportunity to extend the gospel. So that would be things like our, our unsaved neighbor. When they had a baby, we gave them the Jesus Storybook Bible as a gift to their child to use as a family. Um, Amber recently was involved with um, a young lady that she met at who was begging for money at an intersection. And Amber reached out with the love of Christ in providing tangible items that would be of need by this particular person. In terms of um, community development, um, Samaritan's Purse is one that we really have been so blessed by because they're, they're on the ground all over the world responding. They're right now in Ecuador responding to the earthquakes there. They're involved in, in putting in wells to get clean water for kids. Um, of course, they're involved with Operation Christmas Child, which is so dear to my heart. We started with Operation Christmas Child um, doing two boxes, you know, one for a boy and one for a girl. And then the next year, this was many years ago, and the next year we did two boxes for a girl and two boxes for a boy. And so our, our thought was, on, you know, our focus was on boxes. But, you know, God began to expand our vision, and he gave us the understanding of how many kids, how many children can I impact with this gift that I'm sending? How many children might God draw to himself because they received this simple gift and the little gospel booklet and the gospel material that they receive afterwards as well? I mean, God, can there be kids in heaven that will meet that we were involved in your work because you let us pack this box. So now that's our focus. It's not on two boxes or four boxes. It's on God, how many boxes can we pack this year? So anyway, these are, these, I'm just giving you examples of opportunities. Um, I had mentioned to you last time about um, sponsoring a child with Compassion International. And we, we've sponsored several children and we got those packets and saw those children and I said oh Steve we need do you think we need to, to take another child on do we need to sponsor another child and so um, the very next day after that Sunday we had Compassion Sunday we had been getting for months off and on we'd been getting these emails from our our cell phone company um, because we have a family plan with like a minimal amount of data and it would say you know you're at 75 percent of your data you need to check out the plans blah 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 blah. and so I would always delete those emails well so this time I said well I'm just going to check into that so I checked into the plans and I found a plan that had twice the amount of data that was forty dollars less than what we were paying, $40. You know how much it costs to sponsor a child? 
$38 a month. I mean, that was just as clear as clear could be. Years before, I would have said, oh, wow, $40. That's 40 more dollars to go into our, you know, to stay in our checking account. But no, God is sensitizing us to see, I'm giving you these resources and it's for a reason. You know, you're a channel. Let it go. Give it away. Send it out. So, um, Randy Alcorn says, the everyday choices I make regarding money and possessions are of eternal consequence. And he's written to me what's really a monumental book in this area called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, which I highly recommend if you, um, if you can get your hands on a copy of that. Um, so use, use the money God's given you. Use it to give a, provide a meal, to treat someone to a meal that's down and out, you know, one of your coworkers, one of your fellow Christians, treat them to a cup of coffee. Use your resources to um, go through your closet, clean out your closet and give away some of your belongings to the Salvation Army thrift store so that it can bless someone else. There are a huge variety of ways that don't involve just financial gifts, but they involve you using something that you have to bless others and beginning to see your resources in that way that God's given them to you for a purpose. So where do we, how do we start? Um, How do we fuel generosity in investing with an eternal perspective? Um, The first thing always to me is to study Christ. As we gaze upon Christ and understand the gospel and the radical love and grace God has shown to us, we grow in desiring to be like him. Tim Keller says, the way you know if you have experienced the grace of God is if you are radically generous. He says that it's the mark of a real Christian to be radically generous. And the impact of that generosity is for the world. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So study Christ. Desire to be like him. Ask him to make you like him. And I ask him to make me like him. Because when I become like him, I'll be more generous. The second thing is to repent Repent, confess the sins of idolatry that have lured us to seek meaning and pleasure in consumerism and materialism. Get out of debt. Commit to live more simply, not to hoard, but to give. Because living more simply frees up more resources to be channeled for the work of the Lord. I'm ashamed to tell you how many times I've stood with clenched fists holding on to what is not mine. But God is gracious. And as we confess our sins and come to him again and again, asking him to give a heart of love and compassion and generosity, he's faithful to, be, to work. Ask God to give you role models who live counterculturally. He's given us some amazing role models. One that I've mentioned before in, in Bible study um, is, an orth- is an orthopedic surgeon who sees his occupation, his skills as strictly, as, as really a tool to be used to channel money to the kingdom of God. He lives in a, a, a small town, um, lives in a, you know, simple middle-class neighborhood, not in the affluent neighborhoods where most of the doctors live. 
Um, their, their lifestyle is very simple, and he gives. He gives it away. He gives it. He gives it for health care for Africa, for this cause and that cause. He lives counterculturally, he and his wife and his children. Um, another role model to, to me is um, a family. This is a, a surgeon who, who um, serves in a sensitive country in the uh, Middle East, um, has for 35 years lived in a country where it's extremely dangerous to be a believer, providing health care to Muslims, um, living in a very basic lifestyle, all for the kingdom, using his resources, his gifts, his hands, his surgical skills, and his wife's nursing skills, using them to share the gospel of Jesus and to encourage health care and, and um, meaning in the lives of these people. Another one, interesting enough, is Caleb Voskamp. He's younger than anybody in this room. He's um, the oldest child of Ann Voskamp. Um, he's, I think, like 20. And last I read, he's already sponsoring 12 kids with Compassion International. He has a little, he sells these little the Advent wreaths and Lent wreaths that you see. We bought one a number of years ago and used it in our home. But he's had jobs, he, he works, and he fuels his, much of his income into sponsoring kids. I think that's huge. So um, next, ask God to open our eyes to ways we can invest in his kingdom work. He provides the resources for whatever he calls us to. And he'll open your eyes to someone who's in need of something that you have and something you can, can give. Um, the, the other thing is to learn what God's doing locally and globally because as you do, it'll fuel your enthusiasm and your desire to be a part of that. Um, find out what's going on down at Salvation Army or at Good Samaritan Health Clinic. Find out what's going on with leading the way. Get on their mailing list. Look on their website. Find out the amazing things God's doing. I read an incredible book recently, um, Seeking God, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi, who is a brilliant Muslim who came to Christ because of a friend, because of friends who entered his life and shared Christ with him. So anyway, God's doing some amazing things, and we can be a part of that. Um, finally, um, just, just so a few random tips. Always examine the financial information of any organization that you're going to get involved with. Find out what their overhead is. Find out what percentage of what you give is actually going to their ministry. We had a number of uh, phone calls in Pensacola right after 9-11, you know, the police uh, fraternal order of this or that or whatever. And so we started to ask them, well, um, are, you a part, are you actually a part of this organization? And most of the time they were paid um, marketers. And I, we would say, well, how much of what we donate will go to the organization? In one case, it was 5%. 5% of what they raise over the phone goes to the organization for which they were raising it. So, you know, you need to be um, alert and savvy and you need to examine because we, if we're giving to the work of the kingdom, we need to make sure it's going to where we're giving it. Um, and then uh, one, one other thing, being strategic in your giving. Um, there are many people who give to humanitarian causes, such as cancer funds. And so God has led Steve and me to really focus on those things that have an eternal dimension to it, that are specifically 
involved with the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that's a hard and fast rule for, I mean, God can lead, you You obey whatever God leads you to do. But I'm just saying that as a general rule that God, in the way God's led us. So in conclusion, um, remember my starting point that God is the giver of all good things and I return to him 10% of what he gives to me. Well, my prayer for myself and for you is that we would grow in our understanding that God is the giver of all good things and that we would desire to stand with open hands and give with radical generosity as we're changed to become like Christ. Um, John Piper says, how you provide for yourselves treasures in heaven is that you take your money and you show your freedom from it. It is not your God. It is not your treasure. You love people and you want people to love God. So you're displaying the love of God to them by sharing more and more of what you have. And in doing that, your joy in God, your treasuring of him increases. Um, I have one more slide and it's a picture. Um, This is the space shuttle and this is taken from space of a a launch of the space shuttle. You've seen the pictures before. Um, The space shuttle is basically an an earthbound plane, large plane looking object. Um, When it's on the launch pad, it's strapped to those external um, rockets. And so by a power external to itself, the space shuttle is launched. It is able to overcome the force of gravity and is launched on a trajectory heavenward. Um, There's a a poignant and beautiful poem you may have heard called High Flight by John McGee, an aviation poem. And the first line of that, he says, oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth. And he was talking in terms of aviation. And I think of that because this rocket has slipped the surly bonds of earth. But I pray that this picture will represent the trajectory of our lives. As spiritually, we slip the surly bonds of earth, the pull of our culture, the tug of the world, and the tug of the world that it has on us in the area of money and possessions. May we, ever moving heavenward, live our lives with an eternal perspective based on the radical grace and generosity of God revealed to us through the gospel. In this way, God will be glorified in and through our lives, and we will have abiding, unsurpassed joy as he becomes increasingly our treasure. So I'm going to pray, and then If you have any questions for me, that's fine. If not, I have some discussion questions that I would love for you to spend some time um, thinking and talking about. But first, I'll pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I pray for myself and for these dear ladies here, that you will give us your perspective, you will give us an eternal perspective, that you will set us free from the mold that the culture seeks to squeeze us into, 
And that you'll give us a heart of radical generosity such as you have. And that God, someday, it could be written on our tombstone. She was rich toward God and found in him her treasure. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.